Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is God's word. Uh, Ephesians 1 then, uh, and actually somewhat unconventionally, I I want us to start, uh, before we even, uh, I'm going to pray again, but um, we're just going to watch a short video, Uh, just just less than two and a half, about two and a half minutes, Uh, just because I think it kind of helps illustrate what we're looking at this evening. Color blindness is a situation where because your eyes are different than someone else's eyes, you don't see the world the same way. Commonly, red and green don't look different, but look the same. So if there's a kind of a color filter, kind of glasses that would separate colors, they suddenly can see red and green. There's nothing wrong with the wiring. The problem exists in the eye with the photopigments. So Valspar is working with us at Enchroma to bring color to everyone. We developed these glasses to enable colorblind people to see color for the first time in their lives. like this whole end of the of the spectrum that I just was completely not aware of. I'm like getting misty. This is this is amazing. I've never been able to see this one. And I just want to cry a little bit. <laughs> um I never realized like how much I was affected by the fact that I can't see the world like the way that other people see the world. When he's drawing, I see him going in and out of his crayon box like 150 times sometimes. Oh wow, that's cool. And now I kind of know why. There's a lot more colors here. All these things that are intentional in life, I never caught on to it. In the end, the experience of color is so private that you don't really know how to explain that. So is that what you guys see every day? Yeah? (laughs) Yeah, just everything's flatter. Everything's, yeah, kind of, yeah. I don't want to take them off. Um... It's just dull. It's a little dull. 
to be honest. I never really thought about my colorblindness that much. It was just something that I had that I dealt with and that wasn't really a big deal to me. But color is an amazing experience that I think people probably take for granted. Funny thing is a spectrum color blindness is you're not sort of binary. You don't sort of see in black and white or see in color. People have a varying degrees of uh, how bad it is. We'll come back to that. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, you are the one who opens eyes to see you. And here is a prayer that we're looking at this evening which reminds us of that truth. And so as we turn to your word, we ask, Father, open the eyes of our hearts so we would see you. We would see the truth about you, not as dull, not as black and white and flat and gray, but as stunning. Father, please, would you be at work amongst us, opening the eyes of our hearts to see you and the truth of you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we are still in the book of Ephesians, and um, we've spent three weeks so far doing goodness knows what. Um, no, we spent three weeks. Yeah, right, you won't come back every week. <laughs> We spent three weeks in Ephesians chapter 1, and really what we've looked at in particularly verses 3 to 14 over three weeks are the descriptions of the many blessings in the Christian life. And there are many, many spiritual blessings. It is fantastic to be a Christian. And so if you understand them rightly, so you might give me a glass of water. If you understand them rightly, you will say, along with Paul in chapter 1, verse 3, praise be. To the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. God be praised. You, you should, as a Christian, look at what God has done for you and say, Lord, I just want to praise you. But we don't. Not rightly. Those of us who are Christians. Those of us who are not yet Christians. Perhaps even further away, going, I certainly don't say praise God for what he's done. We don't. Some of us here would have been Christians, well, we might even consider ourselves fairly mature Christians, having been Christians 10, 20, 30 years. And yet, if someone asked us, do you you rejoice in the Lord always? Do you get excited that uh, glory awaits you? And and, and do you dwell upon the fact that you're going to go and be with the Lord in heaven? And, And does that really excite you? And if we answered honestly, we'd say, occasionally. Not all the time. And so here is a wonderful passage of realism. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, this prayer is a fabulous prayer of honesty. Especially if you've ever found yourself thinking, yeah, I get that there are lots of blessings in the Christian life. Cognitively, I can sort of see that. But I don't feel it. I don't get excited by it. Well, here is a prayer for you. If you know there's a difference in your default setting between praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you know that's kind of what you should be saying, but in fact, rather than praise be, more common is poor me. Well, here is a prayer for you. 
Because as Paul will explain to us here, there is a difference between what we see with the eyes in our head and what we know with the eyes of our heart. There is a difference between mere, if I can put it that way, knowing the truth about God in your head and enjoying who he is, knowing him personally and being delighted by that, knowing that truth in your heart. There's a difference between those two. Intellectual knowledge about the Lord is brilliant, but it's not knowing him. You can have a PhD in theology and not know him. There's a difference between what we see with the eyes of our head and what we know with the eyes of our heart. And tonight we're praying that we'd see God not just with the eyes of our head, but we'd know him. That he would enlighten the eyes of our heart. And we would say, praise be. Paul begins this prayer then. Um, Let's have a little look down. Verse 15. For this reason... Uh, is he looking backwards to what he said or looking forwards? Uh, I think probably both. For this reason, uh, ever since I heard about two things, your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, because genuine Christianity always has both, love for the Lord and love for God's people. For this reason, I- I've heard that you're the real deal as Christians. And I know, because this is what we've looked at before, chapter 3, verse 13, you're a discouraged people. That's kind of why I'm writing this letter, because you're discouraged. What I want to do, I've heard that you're the real deal as Christians, and there are all these spiritual blessings for Christians. So what I want to do for you, says Paul, is pray that you, genuine believers, would know all these blessings for real in a way that affects you, changes you. And so he prays to uh, the Father of glory or the glorious Father, the Father who is wonderful and pours out every spiritual blessing. He prays to him. And really there's one main point. His prayer is, may God open the eyes of your heart. That's his prayer. May God open the eyes of your heart. So you know these three things, the hope of your calling, the riches of God's inheritance, and the power at work for you is better than in you. The power at work for you. But the main prayer is that God would open the eyes of your heart so you'll know these things. So that's how we're going to look at it. The main prayer, may God open the eyes of your heart, and then the three things he wants them to know. So this big idea, may God enlighten or open the eyes of your heart. So verse 16, he says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, this is not new. If you're a Christian, you have God's Spirit dwelling within you. We looked at that last time. When you become a Christian, it's instantaneous. It's that moment in time. So, uh, uh, verse 13, when you believed, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, the, the Spirit comes and dwells in you. But Paul's prayer here is that the Spirit who dwells in you will give you more wisdom and revelation. He'd give you more not uh, directly, not that you're sat on the bus or the tube tomorrow morning and uh, you thought, oh, it was interesting last night. May God enlighten the eyes of my heart. 
And all of a sudden, like a Neo in the Matrix, you get a big old download and think, brilliant, I'm, I'm fully wise. I'm going to run rings around everyone at work today. Not like that, because the things he prays for are the things he's talking about in the rest of the book. So when he says, may God give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you understand these things in Ephesians, this letter better, so that you understand the Bible better. Okay, that's what he's praying. I pray that you may know, so why? Not just so you understand the Bible. God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the things that I'm writing so that you may know him, the Lord, better. Or in other words, because verse 18, they've, they've put a full stop in this translation. There isn't one. It's just a, a participle. So you may know him better having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So to know God better, for, for the Spirit to give you wisdom and revelation so you know God better, is precisely the same thing as having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Okay, Just two ways of saying the same thing. Now that's interesting. Paul is writing this letter. He's sat in prison. And here's what he doesn't pray. He doesn't pray, or he doesn't write to them and say, can you pray for me that I get released? He doesn't pray that. He doesn't pray, look, I'm praying for you. I, I, I know you're discouraged, chapter 313. I know that. And uh, I know that, uh, that, that the society in, in Ephesus is, is pressuring you and it's really hard to be a Christian. But what I'm not praying for you is that your life gets easier. I'm not praying that. I'm not praying that my life gets easier. I'm not praying that your life gets easier. I'm praying that you know God better internally, that the eyes of your heart are enlightened so you know him because that's the most important thing. You can handle all sorts of circumstances if you know him. And it struck me. Uh, just... You read through the other prayers of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He doesn't pray for circumstances to change. Whenever he prays for Christians, it's always that they would change. They'd mature. That they'd know God better. It's the most important thing. But I have to say, in looking at this, I've just found this prayer enormously honest, encouraging, real. Paul says to this bunch, verse 15, yeah, brilliant. So you've got faith in Jesus, excellent. And you love God's people, brilliant. Two marks of being genuine believers. But I'm going to pray for you that you know God better because you don't know him as well as you should and you don't enjoy him as much as you should. And we sit here and go, yeah, I'm a Christian, that's true of me. Or I'm not a Christian and yeah, I certainly don't think that way. More, says Paul, you need to know God more. In many ways, if you're a Christian here tonight, you're like one of the 300 million colorblind people in the world. You see, you see God, you believe in him. But you only see this much. And Paul is saying, I pray that you see a full spectrum of how good God is. Tangentially, it's a funny thing being colorblind. I am colorblind. Uh, so I am uh, particularly green-red deficient. So if you ever happen to be playing snooker against me, you could be very mean because the green ball, the brown ball, and the red ball all look completely identical to me. If you look at me and think, that's an odd jumper you're wearing, it's not my fault, I'm colorblind. <laughs> and my wife wasn't with me at the time. And the, that's entirely possible. <laughs> because occasionally there's a, whoo, take that one back. Um, you see... 
but you, you don't see the full range. And even those guys, I mean, they put on these curious glasses and they do see the full range and it's quite emotional for them. Wow, I'm whatever I am, I'm 50 years old and I've missed this all my life. This is what you guys see? Wow, it is much better than I thought. Yeah, yeah. And Paul is praying. Look, I, I want you to see the full spectrum. Not just some. Not just you, you're a Christian who thinks, oh, I'm a Christian, but sometimes it's a bit dull, a bit dreary, a bit all bland. No, I, I want you to see the full range of color of who the Lord is and what he's done for you. Unfortunately, there are no glasses that fix it. It's not a quick fix. It is progress that takes time throughout our lives. And if you'll bear with one daft comment, look, I am a, um, I'm a, a fallible, sinful, highly mediocre Christian who's been following the Lord for well, 25, 30 years. My observation would be, for those of you, if you forgive me, who are a little bit younger, I do think God is much more wonderful than I did when I was first converted. I I, I do delight far more in the promise of heaven than I did 20 years ago. I, I do get much more excited about seeing him face to face than I did 10 years ago. I enjoy praying to him more than I did five years ago. I think I may have gone from 10 to 15% color, all right? I think I've got a long way to go. But you do make progress. We want to know him better. See him for who he is. And it's a work that he does. You can't coerce it. You can deliberately make progress. Of course you can. The more time you spend in God's word, the more time you spend praying to him, of course. But in the end, you pray, Lord, open the eyes of my heart so that I may see you more clearly, more wonderfully. So pray. Pray these things. We can look at them now. Pray these things, these three for yourself. Pray them for your friends. Pray them for others. But pray that God may open their eyes to see. Three things. The hope of your calling, the riches of God's inheritance, and the power at work for you. Okay? You want your eyes, the eyes of your heart, not the eyes in your head, the eyes of your heart to be open so you see these three things. First, the hope of your calling. So verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, here's the first, the hope to which he's called you. Now, Christians have a sure and certain hope. You know this, that hope in the Bible does not mean some sort of vague aspiration. It's something in the future that is certain. I hope tomorrow is Monday. It's in the future, but it will be. Um, That's just how the world works. The Christian hope of heaven, I want to go there. It's in the future. It will come when the Lord Jesus returns. And so those of you who are in Bible study groups uh, midweek uh, would have been looking at that this week, either home groups or uh, uh, discipleship groups. Uh, 1 Peter 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, which is kept in heaven for you who through by faith are kept by God's power until the coming salvation. That's your hope. And I hope you enjoyed Looking at that again, it's a wonderful hope. 
Never perish, spoil, or fade. I mean, those are wonderful words. The only slight danger with them is you think, um, I have a hope in heaven that will never perish, spoil, or fade. A bit like gold, you know, or jewels. That sort of, and we can quite easily, it's not all bad, but purely think of heaven or glory or future in, as material stuff. Now, that kind of works for some. And for others, you'll get to heaven, you'll have loads of diamonds. Do them? Can I make a laser? Or so? What have I got to do with that? About a load of diamonds. I mean, diamonds don't really excite me. But of course, the best thing about being with God in glory is Him. It's life in the presence of God. That's by far and away the most wonderful thing: being in His presence. Now, I know, just be pushed onto that for a little bit. When you go from something which is okay to something which is much better, that is great. If you go from, oh, just the, the weather this morning, that was rubbish, wasn't it? You wake up and, oh, as my father-in-law says, that is not a usable day. Um, <laughs> as long as it's dry, the day is usable. It's not a usable day today, which is that his way of saying, God, it's torrential with rain. You can't do anything outside. You wake up and think, oh, wouldn't it be lovely if next week I was in the presence of sunshine for seven days or, or just not too hot, 26, 7 maybe, that's all right. Don't need any more than that. That would be perfect. To go from mm, to the presence of sunshine, wonderful. Or you're, you, you're flat out at, at work or whatever it is, your studies, and it's just exhausting. And uh, your cuisine, your, your diet for the whole week has consisted of a sandwich at your desk for lunch and chocolate bars for dinner. And that's all you've eaten for seven days. And by the end of seven days, you just think, mm, you just feel like a... Um, and you know, and it's terrible. Uh, and then all of a sudden at the weekend, you're in the presence of, I don't know, a, a parent who cooks you your favorite food. Oh, to be in the presence of this thing is delightful. Or you go away and you're stuck away with work or whatever it is, and you have to go to a conference and you're stuck in a very, with some very boring people in a very boring hotel. And the most exciting thing for three nights away is collecting as many mini shampoos as you possibly can. And that, and that is the highlight because everything else is utterly tedious and, and, and dull. And then you come back and you're in the presence of your best friends for an evening. And, oh, it's so good to be in your presence. You, know, you should wrap all those sort of experiences together and multiply them out. To be in God's presence is that to the power of infinity to be with him. That's the sort of hope, a wonderful hope. So pray that God enlightens the eyes of your heart so that you know how wonderful it will be with him. If you think, oh, being with God. Look, just don't think Sistine Chapel. Just think being in the presence of everything that's most wonderful. Okay, that's the first. Pray that. Pray that you'll be excited by the hope of your calling. Second, pray that you'll, uh, the eyes of your heart will be enlightened to know the riches of God's inheritance. So verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, first, the hope to which he's called you. Second, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Note, he's not saying... He's not repeating himself, so you've got a glorious hope and you've got a glorious inheritance. Not saying that. He's saying you've got a glorious hope and you are God's glorious inheritance. You, the Christians, are the riches of his, God's glorious inheritance in his people. 
In other words, pray that you get how much God values you. That's what this prayer is. God, as we thought a little bit about this last time, God views you as his inheritance. What he's looking forward to. Not because we're intrinsically worthy, we're not. When the last trumpet sounds, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in Christ's righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Not because I'm worthy, but because of what Jesus has done for me. That's why God values me, because of Christ. And I belong to Christ, not inherent to myself. So Paul says, look, I want you to know more deeply that you are what God is looking forward to. You are God's inheritance. You are his bride. I was reading in um, uh, just in my own quiet time devotions, uh, reading through Genesis again, and um, uh, middle section, 20s, and uh, it's uh, Jacob. Uh, he's falling out with his brother. Uh, and then uh, you get this little scenario. Jacob, chapter uh, 29, Jacob comes and uh, he uh, meets his uncle and he meets and he meets Rachel and he sees and he meets and he engages with Rachel and he's just besotted just besotted with her and so he arranges this deal with uh, with uh, Rachel's dad Laban oh, look I'll work for you manual labor for 7 years and at the end of that I'll marry your daughter deal says Laban pretty good deal um 7 years free labor and I get to marry your daughter. The extraordinary thing is, I think it's verse 20, Genesis chapter 9, 29 verse 20. So Jacob worked for Laban for seven years, but they only felt like a few days because of his love for Rachel. Very sweet verse. I mean, most of the men here would say that, I'm sure, about their wives, those who are married, husbands, sort of. Seven years labor. They just felt like a few days. Because as the months tick by, Jacob's just thinking, one day near my wedding day. One day near my wedding day. Yeah, I'll dig. Uh, ready for you. Um, whatever it is. But seven years just felt like a few days. Why? How can that be? Because he loves her. And he's looking forward to her. And... Paul says here, do you realize, Christians, you, that's how God views you? You are the riches of inheritance. You're his Rachel that he's looking forward to seeing. And so pray that God enlightens the eyes of your heart so that you know how deeply he treasures you, says Paul. You'll never be the Christian you should be unless you get that. Okay. So pray that you'll know the hope of your calling, the riches of God's inheritance, that is how much he values you, and last, uh, the power at work for you. So verse 19, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, and that you would know, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then the rest of the passage expands upon power. I don't know, is that because... Christians doubt that more than anything. I don't know. He starts to introduce other themes of the letter. But he wants us to really get that this power, God's power, is verse 19 for us who are Christians, for us who believe. That's an extraordinary thing. And Paul really piles up the phrases 
<laughs> so verse 19, it's his incomparable greatness or his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as mighty strength that is exerted. Paul essentially saying to Christians, do you realize God is he's working for you his power? You know, it's a sort of deep, you know, it's a real, he's, he's, this is, he piles up the phrases here. So did you really get that God is working for you? What it, let me ask a couple of questions to try and make sense of it. What is this power? Well, verse 19, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, dominion and power, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What power is working for us? The power that raised Jesus from the dead seated him upon God's throne, and now means he rules over every power. In this world, Roman, Roman uh, gods, Roman emperors you might fear, supernatural powers you might fear, everything you might fear, Jesus rules over it. And that power is for you. Be encouraged. Because verse 22, God appoint, placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. I don't really enjoy doing this, but the, the, the translators are a bit, they've lost their nerve here. All thing, and God has appointed Jesus to be head. It's literally God has given Jesus for the church. Now, the, 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 the translators have slightly lost their nerve because it sounds like, what? God has given Jesus for the church? But surely the church belongs to Jesus, and, and, and both are true. But you see, he's quite extraordinary. He's saying, God has taken Jesus Christ, appointed him over everything, and then said to the church, he's on your side, he he will support you, he's working for you. That's quite a gift. And he makes the same point in verse 23. The church is Christ's body, has the fullness of Jesus, who fills everything in every way. He rules over everything. This is daft, but let me try and put it this way. Last year, the um, uh, one or two here, uh, the CCM football team, the Six Society team, made it to the national final. The national churches, to be fair, um, uh, final, and uh, in great British tradition, lost on penalties, um, uh, which is a shame. But you know, got to the final. Very good, very good, very well done. Uh, now imagine, imagine some affluent billionaire says, bizarrely, I- I'm going to give to CCM football team, a gift. Great. What, what is your gift? Well, uh, you know, they took a little bit of persuading, and golly, their salaries are quite something, but I, I, I'm going to give you Pep Guardiola to be your manager. And, um, well, it's the summer months, and so uh, Lionel Messi and, and Cristiano Ronaldo, they're going to play for you. Oh, very good. And, uh, you know, well, I've had a little word. Just run with this story, okay? Uh, I've had a little word, and um, actually, Pep is not only going to coach you; he's going to be the ref in all your matches as well. <laughs> okay. So, do you reckon you might go one better next year? Well, Messi, Ronaldo, the ref, and a great manager. Yeah, I think we'll be all right. Um, that's quite a gift to give to you. Dare I say, the best manager in the world, the best players in the world, the best source of corruption in the world. Just run with it. Um, <laughs> but um, that's quite a gift to be given to you if you're a football team. 
In a six-a-side match, I mean, that's going to transform everything. And here, the, the, the prayer is, do you get what power is at work for you? God has given to his church, Jesus Christ, who rules over everything. You'll be okay, all right? You'll be okay with him. That's the power at work in God's church to achieve his purposes. So pray. Pray that God enlightens the eyes of your heart so that you know the power of God that is at work for the church. He will achieve his purposes. So those three things. Do you pray those things? When you take time to pray, do you pray these things for yourself, for others? Not more ways, perhaps. Paul thinks these are really important things. That we would pray that God enlightens the eyes of our heart so that we know the hope of our calling, the riches of God's inheritance, how much he values us, and the fact that his power is at work for us to get us home to heaven. Those are things you want to pray. And you'll never know the Lord as well as you should do unless these things are true. But if you pray it, God answers prayers and he'll expand the range of color, the depth, the maturity with which you know him, which is a very wonderful thing. So if you sat through Ephesians 1 and thought, well, these are all wonderful blessings, I guess, but I don't feel very excited about them. Well, here's your prayer. Pray that God opens your heart so you do see them as you're meant to do. Lord, please would you let me see you vividly, truly, in colour. And I'm going to suggest we pray this now. I don't always do things like this, but um, let me suggest this. If you know the person next to you, big caveat, if you know the person next to you, why don't you turn to them and pray this for them? It doesn't need a huge amount of discussion. You just get on and pray it for the person next to you. If you don't know the person next to you, don't make them feel awkward. Okay, there's bound to be some people here for the first time. There are a number of people here who won't be Christians. Don't make, sorry, who aren't yet Christians. Don't make them feel awkward, all right? If you don't know the person next to you, say hello. And what did you get up to in the rain? Uh, and something else. You know, try and be socially able. Um, <laughs> what's the best museum to go and visit in the rain? You know, just meet someone. Okay, But if you know the person next to you, why not pray these things? Just two, three minutes. And then, um, then I think we'll sing again. Okay, why don't we turn? Just the person next to us, if we know them. And pray, or say hello. 